it's a honey of a tree, Clark. You real? Yeah, yeah. I dug it out of the ground myself. That a fact. Hey, hey, get out of there. Stop. No. No, don't worry about it, Clark. Little tree water ain't gonna hurt him. Before we left, he drank a half a quart of Penn's oil. Boy, when he lifted his leg the next morning. Whoa. <laughs> Eddie, if he drinks the water out of there, the tree's gonna dry up. Come on, out of there. It's not. Out, out, out. You get out of there. No, get in the kitchen now. Get in the kitchen there. Get you something to eat. Go on. He's cute, ain't he? Only problem is he's got a little bit of Mississippi leg hound in him. If the mood catches him right, he'll grab your leg and just go to town. <laughs> you don't want him around if you wear his short pants, if you know what I mean. <laughs> a word of warning, though, if he does lay into you, it's best to just let him finish. Just can't believe you're actually standing here in my living room, Eddie. Um, <laughs> Never thought the day would come. Yeah, I'm excited about it, too. It's a crying shame the older kids couldn't make it. I'll get that. Don't worry about it. Let me do it. Yeah, I got the daughter in the clinic getting cured off the wild turkey. And the older boy, bless his soul, is preparing for his career. College? Carnival. You gotta be proud. Oh, yeah. Yeah, last season he was a Tricky dust spreader on a Celtic world. He thinks that maybe next year he'll be guessing people's waiter barking for the yak woman. You ever see her? No. Yeah, she's got these big horns growing right out above her ear. Yeah, she's ugly as sin, but a sweet gal and a hell of a good cook. Can I refill your eggnog for you? Get you something to eat? Drive you out to the middle of nowhere? Leave you for dead? No, I'm doing just fine, Clark. Y'all look real nice today, Sisuri. Well, today I represent that one person or people in your life, the Cousin Eddie's, the people who are hard to love. And I know it's going to be hard for you to take me serious for the next few minutes, but try to, because I want to prove a point here. Truth is, we all got a little Cousin Eddie in our lives. Well... We're in week three of our Love Handle series. We're trying to get a relational grip, develop a relational grip on the relationships in our life. And how in the world do you love messy people? How in the world do you love people like Cousin Eddie? People who are insensitive, demeaning, rude, arrogant, hurtful, divisive. It's like they, 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 they're ticking time bomb and they leave a wake of relational destruction, casualties and chaos behind them. How do you love those people? Well, you see, the world has created a very false, uh, narrow and, and, and I would say narcissistic view of love, whereby the person with whom you're in the relationship, maybe it's a, you know, a spouse, a friend, a coworker, a family member, if that person doesn't Perform if that person doesn't measure up to your standards, then they can simply be discarded. 
right? Like, a, like an old sweatshirt in your closet you don't need anymore. Just throw it out. The world says avoid messy people, avoid eddies, or even eliminate them from your life. But then you look at this book and you get a totally different description of love. You see, God shows love is not a feeling, but a commitment. A commitment to traverse the long, hard, and unavoidable challenges that we all face in our relationships. I love uh, Billy Graham, the way he put it. He said, true love is an act of the will, a conscious decision to do what is best for the other person instead of ourselves. Here's a big idea. Love, loving requires lending. Say that with me. Loving requires lending. What do I mean by that? Well, to love someone, you have to lend them the grace and love that they need. It's like, basically, we're a bank, and the person with whom you're in relationship is coming to you for a loan. The problem is they don't qualify. So the world would say, sorry, you don't qualify. God says, loan it to them anyway. Extend the life-changing love and grace that they need, even if their name is Cousin Eddie. We're going to see this truth in the Colossians chapter 3 today. Paul's writing to this church in Colossae. See, what happened is this church had some false teaching going on, and it led to relational chaos. It was a mess. And so Paul's going to give us the remedy for loving people that are messy, loving people like Eddie. And here's a cool little fact. The, the church in Colossae, Paul didn't plant that church. He never even visited that church. You know what that church was a result of? The Ephesian believers, a hundred miles away, they got fired up for Christ. They fell in love with Jesus and they went and started to witness. The point is, is that faith inspires faith. And it just makes me wonder, as God's lighting a fire underneath us, and God's doing some incredible things. I just wonder how many churches 100 miles away will be planted as the result of the faith that's being stirred up here at the gathering. Amen. Colossians 3, verse 12, here's the remedy for loving messy people. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you, and over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Lord, thank you that you give us a clue. You give us a plan on how to love messy people, because the truth is we all have them in our life, and sometimes we're that messy person. God, help us learn to love like you loved. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, here we go. So if you have someone in your life who is messy, how do you love them? Number one, if you're taking notes, Eddie Proof your wardrobe. And we need to eddy-proof our wardrobe. That's, that's what Paul's saying. 12b says, clothe yourselves with five things. Compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. In other words, to love people that are messy, it requires a special wardrobe, a special outfit. Five things. And we need to put those things on. In fact, Paul in verses 8 and 9, we don't have time to go there, but basically he, he describes what we would call the grave clothes, we need to take off the grave clothes, which he describes as anger, rage, malice, filthy language, and lying, and, and put on the grace clothes, which are made up of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. So let's break these things down. What do they mean? Compassion. Sympathetic consciousness of others' distress 
Here's the important part. Together with a desire to alleviate it. In other words, true compassion leads to action. Remember Jesus at the shores of Galilee? He pulls up in the boat and he sees 5,000 people. And he, and he looks at him, the Bible says in Matthew 14, 14, you can put that verse up, with compassion. Go ahead. Yeah, with compassion and on them. And he healed them. He didn't just say, oh, wow, they need healed. Okay. Right? And walk away. No, no. He did something about it. Compassion without action is just an emotion. Man, I don't know about you, but God didn't call me to be an emotional Christian. I mean, sometimes we get emotional, and that's fine. That's a healthy, a healthy thing. But my goodness, it's supposed to drive us to do something about it. Otherwise, it's just emotion. True compassion leads to action. And then later in that passage, they were hungry. The 5,000 people were hungry. And his disciples were like, hey, man, you better let them go into town because they got to get something to eat. It's, it's getting late in the day. You know what he said? No, we can do something about this. Yeah, but we only have five loaves and two fish. I'm God. We can do something about this. He had compassion, and that compassion led to action. It's like the person who says, God, how could you let all those hungry children in Africa die? God says, funny, I was getting ready to ask you the same question. Do something about it. Compassion that's not emotion, but compassion that leads to action. That's true compassion. And we got some people in this church that are doing that every week, the misfits, they're going out and serving our community. We got Bob Mead, who's got a, a ministry for, uh, to do maintenance and, re, and small repairs on the cars of, of single women. If you're a single mom and you have help and you need help, stop and see Bob or stop at the info table and we'll get you the information. We got a guy named Joe who's putting together a food trailer to drive this trailer around and feed the people in surprise. We got a dream campaign. It's not a building campaign. We got a dream campaign. Why? Because most of the people in surprise don't know Jesus. They lay their little heads on their pillow and they have no eternity. They're spiritually bankrupt. They're spiritual refugees. They're spiritually impoverished, man. They don't know Jesus and we walk by them every day. And finally God woke me up and said, are you okay with this? No, I'm not okay. And that's why we're doing this. It's a dream campaign. It's a dream that God put in our heart. And I intend, and I hope you do too, to own your part of that dream and to do something about it because that's how lives are changed. Compassion that leads to action. Amen? I love what Levi Lusco said. He said, you can, you can give without loving, but you can't love without giving. Isn't that true? I mean, I love the Red Cross, right? Or I like the Red Cross and I can give to them, but I probably don't love them. But if I love someone in my life, you can't help but give. It's impossible to love without giving. And so what's the key to compassion? As you really dive deep into God's word and you study the word, you study Jesus, like what was it about him that allowed him to have that compassion? Here's the secret. To see past the eyes. In this world, we're all about the external. We look and we say, hey, Dave, I, I see past your, I look into your eyes. And you actually have glasses on. Those are actually kind of cool. But we need to look like Jesus, that he could see beyond the eyes. He had that ability to, to, you know, there's a story behind those eyes. There's something going on that in the natural we cannot see. But through the spirit, we are enabled at times when we're walking with, when we're not in the flesh, we're walking in the spirit. We, we have access to things that otherwise could not be seen. Shakespeare said the eyes are the window to the soul. 
But before Shakespeare said it, Jesus said it. Matthew 6, the eye is the lamp of the body. Jesus saw what other people could not see. Remember John 4, the woman at the well? She's like, I'm not married. He's like, I know. I know you're not. You, 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 you've had five husbands, and the man you're living with right now, he's not your husband. Now, he wasn't beating her up like some people tried to, to imply. What was the whole point? He wanted to give her living water. He wasn't judging her for her mistakes. That was in the past. He, was, he wanted to give her something that those men could not give her. Life to where she wouldn't have to thirst again. He could see beneath the surface. And the Holy Spirit gives us access to do that. We got to put on compassion and we got to put on kindness. Kindness. The challenge with kindness is the ones who need it the most are the ones who deserve it the least. That's what's so hard about it. And so what we end up doing is we end up giving what I would call directional kindness. We give kindness to the people who are cool, people who are nice, people who are funny, people who are gregarious, people who make us laugh and make us happy when we're around them. We give them our kindness. And that's not really kindness. That's bartering. That's quid pro quo, this for that. Like that's an exchange of goods and services. Love is when you give something with no expectation of anything in return. That's kindness. And you know what? Jesus actually did as well, if you read the Bible, he also suffered from directional kindness. The difference was he gave it to the people who were disenfranchised. He gave it to the world's rejects, the people that the world pushed to the side and said, you're damaged goods. He had directional kindness towards them. Now, he loved us all, but he would have a special focus and emphasis on the people who really needed love. Samaritans, Gentiles, poor, sick, lepers, women, they were who were disenfranchised in that culture, tax collectors, and prostitutes. That's who he spent time with. You know what he did? He took our little guest list, our little VIP guest list, and whoop, tore it up. And he said, you know what? I love those people. Those people that you're, you're, you, you don't want to spend time with. He's like, that's who I want to hang with. I want to hang with the unpopular people. I see greatness in them. That's, that's what he did. He broke up the cliques. He said, no rock stars in the kingdom of God. You can see that in Luke 14, verse 12. Then Jesus said to the host, when you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends. Gab, can you get that ring down, please? Do not invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you, and back, invite you back and so you'll be repaid. Verse 13, but when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Like next time you have a barbecue, next time, and trust me, this, this gets me too because I don't always do that, man. Sometimes I think, oh, I'm going to have some friends over. And what do I do? I want to have the friends that I want to have over. And now i got to preach this message in this outfit. <laughs> you see how God deals with me? I'm a work in progress, y'all. But the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. Like, who does that? We're too busy singing, I want to be your hands. I want to be your feet. Go where you send me. Except to that person I don't like. Right? We don't do that. Like, love them. Let's be kind to them. Let's be the church where the eddies, the jack wagons, the pariahs of the world are welcome. Let's be that church, man. 
And I just want to challenge the family circle leaders. I want, you, I want to challenge you to have at least one person in your group that may be a little different than you, that may push your buttons a bit, that may cause you a little distress. Why shouldn't we? Right? Let's not turn into a clique. Let's not turn into a little, you know, country club where we all just get together and tell each other how great we are. Man, let's push ourselves to be what God tells us to be and what he knows we can be. Be kind to the, Cousin Eddie's, be kind to the, the people who hurt you. I love this quote. It takes so much courage to face your enemy, but even more to be kind to those who hurt you. Next article of clothing in the grace clothes would be humility. Humility is not thinking less about yourself. Humility is thinking about yourself less. Right? We don't have to beat ourselves up and, oh, I'm such a loser. No, just don't think about ourselves all the time. Like, don't wake up and be like the first thing you think of is, what do I got to do today? How do I please myself? No, think about somebody else other than yourself. And, and, and the epitome of our hubris is the fact that we probably think this message is for somebody else. You came and you're like, oh, man, how to love messy people. I'm so glad my husband's here. Right? We do that. And that's our own pride because someone might be thinking about you at this very moment thinking, I'm glad she's here. It's pride. We put on gentleness. Gentleness is not weakness. It's power under control. See, the word in the Bible from which we get gentleness is a use, it's used to describe three things in the Bible. A gentle wind, a soothing medicine, and a cult being broken. Now, what, what do those three things have in common? They can be very gentle or they can have tremendous power. Think about it. A gentle wind can be a raging storm. A soothing medicine literally has the power to save a life. It's powerful. Or a cult, you can have a cult do something very uh, gentle if it's bridled properly, right? Like for a little sunset stroll you can, on a horseback. Or, or it could plow a field. It's, it's power under control. In fact, engineer James Watt invented the horsepower measure as of, as of a means of measuring how much coal a horse can lift from a mine. Did you know that? One horsepower equals 3,300 foot-pounds per minute. So you can slice that up in different ways, but essentially they estimate that a horse can raise 1,000 pounds, 300 feet in one minute. That's powerful. And yet that same horse can be bridled and be very gentle. And you could ride horseback with a small child. It's, it's power under control. And by the way, you dog lovers, do you know what the most gentle dog is? What'd you say? A pug, you're right. It's a pug. Pug is, is rated to be the most gentle dog. But here's the thing. With Eddie, the power lies in our restraint. When we deal with Eddie's, oftentimes the power is in what we don't say. What does the Bible say? Proverbs 10, 19, Solomon says, when words are many, sin is not absent, but he who holds his tongue is wise. I don't know about you, easy to read, hard to do. Some of you, I, I told this story before to some other folks. I was in Home Depot one time and I was getting a roll of carpet and I was using my wife's minivan, and I couldn't fit the thing in there, and so I tilted it. Yeah, I tilted it in a, in a, kind of at an angle so I could get a little more room, and I thought I had clearance, Clarence, and so I shut the back, and as I shut it, I heard the sound 
of, of, of breaking glass. I walked around to the front, and sure enough, at the right front of the windshield, that carpet had punched a hole through the windshield. And I was just sitting there thinking, like contemplating the stupidity, and how am I going to try to explain this to my wife? Like, what story can I make up, right? And all of a sudden, this guy, old man, walks by in stride with a sick little, you know, cynical look on his face. He says, you know, you could have stuck it out the window. <laughs> to which I wanted to say, buddy, I'll tell you where to stick it. <laughs> but I didn't. I'm learning. God's dealing with me. <sighs> Power under control. God help us all. In May of 2017 in Iraq, an unnamed Canadian special forces op took down an enemy target, check this out, from a distance of 3,871 yards. That's over two miles, y'all. That's crazy. The bullet's speed was 792 miles an hour, and from the time he shot it to get to the target, it took over 10 seconds. Anybody know what weapon he used? Yeah, specifically, which one do you know? It's Canadian. McMillan, very good. And he's going to share a story in a second. Nice. McMillan, the TAC-50. And show that, show that round. Show the round. Show the bullet. All the way to the left, there's your 50. There's a dollar bill. You can see how big that round, how big that bullet really is. But here's the thing. Bullets come in many forms. They come... In emails, they come in texts, they come in tweets, they come in Facebook posts, in letters, in heated responses. There's a whole lot of forms of, of, of bullets. And here's the thing, every gun owner knows that once that round leaves the chamber, you ain't got no control over that round. What's done is done. And the chaos of that round can be catastrophic. I wonder how many families have been ripped apart by something stupid that this Eddie said or that Eddie said. I mean, we've been part of it. And so in loving Eddies, we have to remember that we've been a part of that. And so we gotta guard, we, we, gotta, we gotta restrain that power. We gotta holster that weapon. Proverbs 15:1, a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. We gotta loan Eddie some grace, and at times that means not responding. Why? Because loving requires lending. And lastly, patience. Patience. This is the one, yeah, most of us guys, this is, I mean, if you're like me, this is, this is my worst probably right here. I mean, just Friday, literally Friday night, you know, gosh, man, you need to pray for me. Uh, Friday night, we were at the mall, and uh, I had the, it's our Friday family night, and, and I was behind this lady in a minivan, and we're in a parking lot, and, and, and I'm, you know, just want to park and get in there, and she stops, then she turns on her blinker, a left blinker, right, and she's waiting for this family to load up their entire, or, you know, stuff, and a stroller, and all this stuff, you know, she's just going to ride it out, as opposed to, you know, so I'm thinking, good Lord, so I go around, and I, I made some sort of comment to which my, you know, 15-year-old daughter rebuked me, which rightfully so, <laughs> and, uh, yeah, and so I, we, we, you know, park and unload, and I'm walking back, and, and then they're, like, they're literally like 17 people pulling out, uh, pouring out of this minivan. And then, like, the Lord dealt with me. I was like, oh, my gosh. Like, that's a big old family, and, and she had a lot of kids, and I'm worried about saving 30 seconds or 60 seconds. 
Man, patience is tough. But see, we have a misunderstanding of how patience is produced. We think, mistakenly, that patience is produced by like some sort of technique. Like, okay, when I get mad, I'm going to count to 10. One, two, three. Or, or I'm going to breathe five times. Deep breath. In through the nose, out through the mouth. Or I'm going to think a happy thought. Pastor Dan in a Speedo or something. I don't know. I'm just trying to get my attention off me, Dan. Sorry. It worked. <laughs> that's, that's not producing patience, people. That's anger management, right? That's not producing. God wants, God's interested in, in something much more deep than that. He wants to produce within us patience. And here's how he does it. Through obstacles. Through people like Eddie. Why? Because our obstacles are really opportunities. The eddies that God puts in our life, he does so for a reason to create opportunities for growth. He tells us that in James 1, verse 3, knowing that the testing of your faith, that's dealing with the jack wagons like Eddie, produces what? Patience. God wants to produce patience within us. And what do we do? We circumvent the process. We go around it. We go over it. We go on. We don't want to deal with Eddie. And so we avoid the very mechanism, the very process through which he wants to grow us. Why? He's got great plans, but the plans are on a beeline course with Eddie. Whew. Love that. You see, what we do is we want to change the GPS coordinates to go around. But God says he doesn't have a rerouting feature on his GPS. Or he doesn't give us access to it if he does. He says, no, you got to go deal with Eddie. And, and, and we are masters. We are masters at avoiding. How many of y'all have been out and you see, you see Eddie and you're like, right? <laughs> oh, come on, you do it. Or you're like, you see Eddie and you're like, phone call. There's <laughs> like no one on the phone. Or he comes and knocks on your door and where you do like, shh, quiet, quiet, quiet kids. Don't move. Get the dog. Hold the dog's mouth. Shh. Maybe he'll go away if we don't answer the door. That's what we do, man. How pathetic what God must think when he sees us doing this. He's like, I'm trying to help y'all. Deal with him. He's going to make you a better man, a better woman. You see, we got to get, our, our focus is to get through the storm. And God's saying, no, no, I'm taking you to the storm. Right? I'm taking you right to it because that's, it's in the storm. It's in dealing with messy people that you're going to grow the most. We look at Eddie as like a, a, a pothole that we want to avoid on the journey of life. And, he's like, and God's saying, no, no, no. He's the car. He's the vehicle through which I develop patience within you. He's that silver DeLorean that you got to get up to 88 miles per hour, right, with the flux capacitor. That's who Eddie is. We need Eddie. We need Eddie. And so don't avoid Eddie. Embrace Eddie because God's going to use him or her to teach us Patience. What does patience look like in our relationships? Just a couple relational uh, nuggets here. Patience for men looks like stop fixing and start listening. Oh, we're in it now. Men, we love to fix. We love to fix. That's what we do. That's what we're good at. And so we think that our job is to fix the person with whom we're in relationship with. When in reality, most often... They don't want fixed, nor do they need fixed. And if they need fixed, God's quite capable of doing so, I might add. 
And so what, we, what, what, what does that person in relationship want? They want us to listen. Slow down, be patient, stop trying to fix me, and listen. Women, what does patience look like? Stop mothering and start trusting. You see, oftentimes, the natural default set of a woman is to nurture, and that's a good thing when it's your kids. But what we do is we apply that same principle, and that doesn't always work in our relationships. We, we, we seek to control, and what we end up doing is we smother the person. We smother, we suffocate that relationship. God is going to do what God's going to do. We need to let God do that, right? Uh, but, but I hear so many women say, well, when he starts acting like a man, I won't smother him. But loving requires lending. You gotta give it up front, right? You gotta loan him the grace, loan the love. And you're gonna hear a story in just a second of when that happened. And had that not happened, dear God, what would have happened had that not occurred, right? And so we have to do that up front. And then in verse 13, he gives us the next clue. He says, bear, basically what he's saying is bear with the bear. Bear with Eddie. Bear with that bear, because sometimes he's a bear. She's a bear. Verse 13, bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Sometimes your friend, your family member, your child, your spouse, whoever you're in relationship with, sometimes that person is a bear. What do you do? You bear with him. You bear with her. When they're unlovable, you loan them love. You give them the grace they need. You guys can come on up. Love is not based on performance. It's based on a commitment. And I, wanna, I want and a commitment not just to the person, but first and foremost, a commitment to Christ. Because sometimes the commitment to each other, it wanes. Sometimes you get mad and you're like, I don't know if I can love him. And you say, I don't know if I can love Brittany. And so what do you do? You have that commitment to Christ. Yes, you have a commitment to each other, but... But even beyond, before that is that commitment to Christ. And God dropped this in my spirit, and I want to say this to you, and then I'm going to let them share, briefly share their story. But loving someone at their worst allows them to one day love you with their best. And that's exactly when God told, spoke that to me, I thought of these guys. Because that's exactly what happened. Why don't you give them the... 30,000 foot version of your story. Thanks, Pastor John. Oh, wow. Um, I grew up as a kid thinking I was a Christian. I grew up in a Christian home, went to church, all that. As I got older, my uh, look at my faith started to distance itself. And I started questioning, you know, what Christianity was, whether it was real or not. Uh, going to college, joining the military, uh, I met Brittany in 2006, and we started dating. And from the very beginning, one of the first things that we'd ask each other was, you know, what, what do you look, what are you into for this? And her response was, I'm in it for the long haul. So I uh, went overseas in 2009, came back in 2010. Uh, things were kind of rough when I first came home, and then they smoothed over and we got married. And she had asked me before I proposed uh, if you know, if I was a Christian, and I said yes. Well, pretty much from the start, our marriage was not great. It was, 
even, even our honeymoon, there was just something off. And through the nine years that we were married up until now, we were like two ships just kind of passing each other in the sea. We worked opposite shifts uh, a lot. We spent a lot of time apart from each other, never really spending time together. And it never, never really occurred to me what the problem was because no matter how much I tried to fix it, it never got fixed. Or if it did get fixed, it was only temporary. About three months ago, my wife caught me in a secret that I've been keeping from her for the entire night, our entire marriage, basically. Uh, from the time that I was probably 11, 12 years ago, I'd been addicted to pornography. And I had been really good at hiding it. She had no idea. Well, that night, God put blinders on me because I never saw her walk in the room, stand right behind me, and I didn't notice she was there until she was leaving. And I saw my entire world crash around me, three kids. And that entire night, we sat up and screamed. she screamed at me, and I cried and said I was sorry. And then she said the big D word, and I thought it was all over. I called my good friend, Pastor Jeremy, at about 4 o'clock in the morning, and I said, Jeremy, I don't know what to do. I, this is it. It's over. And he came over, and he asked me something, and I'll never forget. He looked at me and said, does God have your attention yet? And I, I finally realized that this was all real. God is real. And that the reason that I had never been able to fix my marriage was because my marriage was not based on God. I was basing it on worldly views. And I got down on my knees and I fully surrendered for the first time in my life. And it was like a switch went off in me. God all of a sudden just started revealing what a jack wagon I was. All the stuff that I had done my entire life to Brittany, to my kids, the way I had acted, the way I had treated her, the hurt. And it was like I was completely reborn. I finally understood what being reborn means. It, it's the most unbelievable feeling I've ever felt. It was the worst and the best weekend of my life. So I called her up as soon as I had finally surrendered. And this was, of course, only a day after the bombshell had hit. And so she was skeptical still, but it was, I, I was completely different. And it just, I'm at a loss for words. It's, it's just, I had never felt peace. I had never known what that meant. I had never understood what people said when they said, God spoke to me, you know, I could feel God's presence. I never knew any of that. I never heard anything in my prayers. And it was all of a sudden I understood everything. All the praise songs I had listened to my entire life made sense. I understood what the lyrics meant, how they felt. I could feel God rushing through my body and just this unmistakable joy. Amen. Just, whoo. Yeah. Yeah, so there were so many times that I wanted to leave um, and just give up and not keep going because it was hard. 
And every time I was like, all right, I'm leaving. God would be like, nope, you're not leaving. <laughs> he, he literally would shut every door that I tried to. Um, the first big one was when I had, we had Dawson. He was like, not even, he just turned one. And I found out I was pregnant with Bentley. And I was like, oh, great. I wanted to just leave. And now I have two kids and I can't support two kids. So I couldn't leave. Um, but yeah, he just kept, I kept feeling trapped then because God just kept shutting the doors. And I was like, God, get me out of this. And he didn't. He just put people in my life, um, Tom and Jacqueline and Jeremy and Linda and my brother Bryce. They just encouraged me and pushed me towards Christ. And um, God finally revealed to me that no matter what my husband did or how he acted, God was still my God and yeah. he was still in control. Yeah. And he was gonna make sure I was taken care of. So right after Steve finally surrendered, um, like he said, I didn't necessarily believe him. Um, I had heard a lot of that, our marriage. And so I was still considering divorce and I was looking up Bible passages to try to be like, yeah, I can get divorced now. <laughs> but God said to me one Sunday, he said, you just give me 30 days. Just give me 30 days and I will show you what I'm gonna do in Steve's life. So I said, okay. And I circled the day on my calendar, which was June 18th. <laughs> but uh, I can tell you that it did not take 30 days. It took only about five. And it has been amazing to see what God has done. Steve has become a completely different person. And I think he got asked, who are you, about a thousand times by all of us. <laughs> uh, I'm so thankful that God kept me in this so I could experience a marriage full of love and hope. And that's one that's focused on God. Amen. Woo. Thanks, guys. Love you guys. Wow. Woo, wow, wow, wow. Um, <laughs> Give me 30 days. I didn't even need 30. I love it. Verse 14. And all... And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them together. We need to cover Eddie with love. We just, we just need to smother that person with love. Because when we do, that's the result. And it wasn't easy. And yeah, it felt like giving up, but you smothered him with love. Love is like a icing on top of the cupcake. How I many you know a cupcake's not a cupcake without icing? A cupcake without icing is a muffin. <laughs> I don't know about you, but I don't want to be no muffin. It was the Summer Olympics of 1992 in Barcelona. Quarterfinals of the 400-meter sprint. British athlete Derek Redmond was one of the favorites that year to win the gold medal. The gun fired and they shot out of the blocks. It's one lap, 400 meters. Halfway around, he was in the lead. Everything was going great until disaster struck. He ruptured his hamstring and collapsed immediately on the track. Officials came over to him, but he pushed them away. He came there to race, and he wanted to finish the race. So he got up, and he began hobbling. Once again, some track officials would come over, and he'd push them away. And he slowly hobbled around the track. And all of a sudden, an older gentleman out of the crowd appeared on the track. And they, they tried to restrain him, but he pushed through. And he got to Derek. That was Derek's father. 
And he looked at his son and he said, son, we're gonna finish this race together. And that's exactly what they did. Tears, tears streaming down. You can go look at it on YouTube. Just tears running down their face. They, they crossed that line together. And I just thought, you know, what a metaphor for our relationships. I mean, if we're honest, there, there would be some that would admit today that we're, they're where you're at nine years ago or a few years ago. Just like you're collapsed on the track of life, you know. You're stuck in a relationship that's failing. And God is saying to us today, he's saying to you, he's saying to me, get back up and finish the race. Finish the race. And we look at God and say, but, but we can't do it alone, God. And he responds to us, you weren't meant to do it alone. And then he sends someone out of the stands. Someone full of grace, full of love, full of strength that we need. And magically that person appears and he or she puts their arm around us. And together we cross the finish line. You see, which one are you? Are you the, 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 the person in the stands who needs to lend the grace? Or maybe you're the person collapsed on the track of life, needing someone to step into your life and love you. Maybe you're the cousin Eddie. Whose account is God asking you to credit today? With compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. Maybe it's love. Maybe it's grace. Maybe it's forgiveness. Who is God calling you to intersect with that grace and love that will bind you together. Loving requires lending. I pray that we are a lending church, that we are a church full of people that have grace and love. When someone hurts us, when someone offends us, when someone's hard to love, I pray that we are a people of God, motivated, by love and kindness and generosity. We give people patience. We show compassion. Compassion that's not emotion, but compassion that leads to action. Because if we're those people, my God, look at your relationships. Watch out, because God will do something powerful in less than 30 days. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for who you are. I thank you for your goodness. I thank you for the love that you showed us for not giving up on a people that sometimes you say we're peculiar people, we are. And sometimes we're just hard to love. But somehow you loved us and you showed us what it means to love. Your own people rejected you and yet you loved. Thank you, Jesus, for seeing beyond our eyes, for seeing into our soul what's really going on, the hurt, the heartache, what's deep below. God, help us have your eyes this very week. Help us look beyond someone's eyes and see into their soul and give them love like you gave it to us. Help us do that and help us be a people that are about your business. Help us love the eddies in our life. Help, them, help us lend them the grace that's needed to bring them across the finish line. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. Well, listen. Yeah, let's praise God. Let's just praise him. Let's just praise him in this moment. Amen, amen, amen. You know, we have to fight to be the people we want to be. And, and, and let me, to fight the people God's called us to be, right? 
Sometimes that's not even what we want to be. I don't care what I want to be. I want to be what God wants me to be. But we have to fight for that. We have to fight to be the church that God's called us to be. And we're gonna, we intend to do that. So uh, next week, quick reminder, we have signups for family circles. Part of doing life together is actually doing life together. Imagine that, right? So we have to do that. And, and, and if you're not in a family circle, I just want to tell you, there's no guilt. There's no shame. You don't have to sign up. But I'm going to tell you, you're missing out on God's plan. Part of God's plan is relationship. Not just what you get out of it, but what you pour into it, filling up someone else's cup. And so I want to encourage you to pray about that. Be ready to sign up for a family circle next week. And as you go from this place, go ready to loan some jack wagon some love. Amen? Love you guys. Have a great week.